0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for another opportunity of learning more about how to take care of the temple, this this temple where your spirit dwells. And we ask that you would help us to listen, help us to understand, help us to apply this in our lives and His ideas on how we can share this message of hope in our church and our community.
1: We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, being a physician, I have a particular affinity to prescriptions. You've noticed that as a group, we tend to be fond of these things. And there's a particular prescription that I wanted to draw your attention to as we begin our study. It actually comes to us from the Bible. And it's from the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. So I'm turning to Philippians chapter 4. Now perhaps you recall the context from which Paul wrote this letter. It's one of Paul's what we call prison epistles. If you found yourself in prison next week, not visiting someone, (laughs) but incarcerated, What would your sentiments be? The book of Philippians is remarkable because one of the keynotes of Philippians is rejoicing. So Paul the prisoner is writing to us, and he writes these familiar words in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I will say, Rejoice! And then just two verses later, he gives this amazing prescription. It begins in verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4. He says, be anxious for nothing. Some of the more uh, contemporary translations say, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in a situation where I'm tempted to be worried, how likely am I just naturally to be giving thanks? Right? I mean, that's not your normal reaction when you're tempted to be anxious to give thanks. What Paul is saying, he's giving us a prescription. When you're tempted to be anxious or worried, instead of that, we're supposed to With prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. And then he promises something in verse 7. And it's, it's an unusual promise because many times in the Bible you'll read things like, well, ask anything in my name and my father will do it. And, you know, there's promises about, you know, calling to God and he will answer us. But there is no promise in this passage that God will answer our prayers. Now, I'm not saying that he doesn't, and I'm not saying that it says that he won't. But the emphasis in this passage is not on the answer, but on the process of engaging with God in prayer and what he will do. Here's what it says. When we do this, when we're tempted to be worried, and instead, with thanksgiving, we make a request known to God, Paul says in verse 7, Then the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So this is an amazing, stress-relieving promise. And I wanted to give that to you at the beginning of our presentation, because had we had the full three hours that we spend in the DVD series, someone may want to catch the lights. John, maybe you can catch the lights for us. In the uh, DVD series that I think we have in back, Uh, If we were to take those full three hours, we would uh, talk quite a bit about stress management. And for those of you on the mailing list...
0: This is the mailing list, if you would like the the PowerPoint uh, or the notes from the lectures. Put your name on it, anybody
1: need it? Yeah, so every slide that I show, will send out to you in in a handout format, in a PDF. And then we'll also give you special pricing on the new book I was just... We just finished with all the edits, all the graphics are done. It's been Some of you have been here from the beginning of the week, you've been praying with us. It's been an ordeal. I mean, my computer got infected with malware this week and uh, things have been breaking and we're just getting more and more excited that the Lord really wants this book out there because it seems like Satan doesn't want it to get finished. But the point is we're coming out with a new book called 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. We talk a lot about stress management. I was just finishing up the edits on that chapter before I came in. Exciting stuff about how managing stress better can help lower your blood pressure. And by the way, there's no finer stress management program than putting your life in the hands of the Creator. I was just talking with someone at lunch. They couldn't be here for this meeting. And they said, Dr. DeRose, you know, we're doing health meetings in our church. How do we get people interest in what we have as a church we've got this vegetarian society in our community how do we introduce people to jesus and that's what we're trying to do with a lot of our resources so this new book that's coming out we've got a chapter the last major chapter in the book is on spirituality and as i was explaining to the person at lunch what we're doing is we're basically trying to take people from whatever their spiritual background is and help them to engage with bible truth now, I don't know that we're going to succeed in this. We've got, uh, we have a very uh, competent editor who's helped us uh, with that process, Clifford Goldstein. Many of you know Cliff from his uh, television work and writing. And uh, so he finished uh, editing the book and this chapter in particular. And so what we do is we suggest to people whatever their faith background is, if they're an agnostic, if they're an atheist, they still have a spiritual background. So we talk about how spirituality is connected with health. But you may not realize this. If you look at the medical literature, there is a connection, a positive connection, between spirituality and health in many of the studies. But there are also some studies that show that people who are more spiritual have worse health. Have you heard about this? There are certain spiritual characteristics that actually can worsen your health. And basically, if I were to boil it down, it's spiritual beliefs that um, are not in keeping with the truths of the Bible. So if you think God is a vengeful God and he's punishing you, this will undermine your health. So there's some people, are very, they're very spiritually minded, but it's undermining their health. They've actually shown this in the medical research literature. So in this chapter in the book, 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, we actually go through this in the spirituality section, and then we say, well, how do you sort out How how can you tell what the good spiritual things are from the bad? What can we do that would appeal to people across the spiritual landscape? And I suggest that we could look at the teachings of a great teacher, revered across spiritual traditions. Any of you know what probably one of the the greatest teachers uh, is in the minds of secular people even? Someone by the name of Jesus. And uh, what we do in this chapter is we look at the Sermon on the Mount, eight principles in the Sermon on the Mount that we say apply across spiritual traditions. What we do in order to go through these eight principles, like be humble and submit, and uh, you know, you could we put the Beatitudes into simple phrases, simple concepts, and we say in order to understand this, you have to understand the biblical background. And so we start by looking at some of the biblical background that includes things like a discussion for lay people on what happens when you really die. You know, God isn't punishing people forever. Uh, what is the plan of salvation? We're not saying it in those words, but we're trying to engage a secular audience with these biblical principles. So continue to pray for us and this book. And all of you, if you're on the mailing list, you'll get special pricing on the ebook when it comes out, hopefully within a month. So keep praying with us to that end. So I tell you all that because... When we speak about the topic of high blood pressure, this is a topic that is of interest in your communities. And if you run a high blood pressure program, you're going to have people from all walks of life that will come to your church, come to the community center where you're offering it. The It's an epidemic. And it's an epidemic of staggering proportions. As we get into the prime of life, you'll notice something very interesting. Take your age... Your age is equivalent to the percentage of people your age that have high blood pressure. That's right. So if you're 65, what percentage of 65-year-olds in America have high blood pressure? That's right, 65%. If you're 78, what percentage of people who are 78 have high blood pressure? 78%. 78%. Now, some of you say, well, you skillfully, Dr. DeRose, avoided the example of a 74-year-old. But you get the general picture, right? So what the point is, we've got these staggering rates of high blood pressure, and if you don't have high blood pressure today, and you're genetically similar to your neighbors in your community, and especially if you're on a lifestyle like they are, you are destined to have high blood pressure. So this is a huge problem. In fact, I'll tell you how this uh, presentation started. We filmed this a few years ago, the DVD series that's available. And uh, it was filmed at the request of a conference health director. He said, I've been going through our conference, and I noticed that our churches are running these screening events. They're running these health expos. And every time I go to one of them, they have a blood pressure screening booth. And he said, but we don't have a program for high blood pressure. Now, I'm not saying there aren't Adventist resources for high blood pressure, but there, there isn't something that's being widely used in churches. And so basically, they partnered with us and with Amazing Facts and uh, several other ministries, and we actually filmed this series, we actually filmed it uh, at Doug Batchelor's church, which was Sac Central back then a few years ago, and uh, that's the series that's now available, and we're adding the book to go with it, so that you can offer this program in your church, very simple, you don't have to have any training, you don't have to be certified, you just have to know how to play a DVD, and uh, we're trying to make it very simple. With the Lord's blessing, let me just tell you one other thing. One week from today, one week from today, uh, I will be with uh, Greg Steinke. I don't know if some of you know Dr. Greg Steinke, an Adventist physician from the Northwest. He actually has roots in Canada. Greg and I will be jointly doing a presentation that looks at spirituality and health. We'll be doing it uh, kind of a practice run Friday night in a church. And then we'll actually be back at Sac Central filming next Sabbath. It'll be a one-hour sermon that we'll film, and it will be a tool that you can use in your churches. If you want to have a one-hour presentation on the spiritual aspects that I've distilled into about, you know, a minute when we looked at Philippians 4, because we just don't have time today, we'll have a whole hour on that where we talk about some of the very things I illustrated for you. So pray with us, because that, uh, that will be filming next weekend. Anyway, it's a huge problem and we want to put resources out there for you that you can use. And it's a huge problem also because of the pain and suffering that's caused by high blood pressure. A lot of people say, I have high blood pressure, I feel fine, Dr. DeRose. Well, the problem is high blood pressure is causing cumulative damage to your body. This is just a partial listing of some of the things that you are at increased risk of if your blood pressure is elevated. Everything from stroke to heart attack, to kidney failure, to blindness. All of these things on the list robbing us of quality as well as longevity. The good news is if you get serious about blood pressure, you can decrease your risk of complications and it doesn't matter how old you are. This is looking at the example of stroke and it shows us that if you take someone with uncontrolled high blood pressure and they control their blood pressure, they can rapidly decrease their risk of a stroke by roughly 50% and it doesn't matter their age. Older individuals as well as younger individuals need to be serious about this topic. Now, when we do the full series, we go through an explanation of what high blood pressure is, and we're not going to do that, but those of you that are on the mailing list, you'll get all these slides, you'll be able to read them, and many of you already know what high blood pressure is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with the different definitions of high blood pressure. There's a lot of discussion in the medical community about really what the... um, uh, ideal levels are for blood pressure, but I've got to show you something that, uh, that I think is especially of importance. You'll see numbers like this depending on the group, numbers like 150, 140 for the upper number, over 90 if you're higher than that. Uh, certain expert groups are saying you need to get the blood pressure down with medication. But there's a problem and let me show you what the problem is this is illustrated in a study a few years back looking at some of the most popular blood pressure medications that are used today and what they found is if you're taking medicine to lower your blood pressure once you get down to a blood pressure of around 130 to get the blood pressure lower with medication actually increases your risk of complications, does not decrease it. And here's the way I typically explain it. By the way, the same is true of medication treatment for diabetes. If you take enough medication to get your blood pressure or your blood sugar down as low as a healthy normal person, you will experience more side effects from the drug than you get benefits from that additional amount of medicine. So once you get down to around 130, 140 systolic, getting it below that with drug therapy is not desirable. Well, this doesn't mean we should just be complacent. You shouldn't leave now saying, okay, I got all I needed. Dr. DeRose said, don't take my medicines. I'm just flushing them down the toilet. 180 over 110 is fine. No, that's not what I'm saying. What the research actually indicates is if you can, with lifestyle, lower your blood pressure, the lower your blood pressure, the better. And the research clearly indicates that if you're not on drugs, getting your blood pressure somewhere down to as low as 110 systolic and into the 70s diastolic is optimal. And some of the data that uh, supports that we won't show you, but we have that in the book and in the full series. This I promised you earlier in the week we would talk about. What causes high blood pressure? And I started by speaking about stress. And a lot of people have this misnomer that high blood pressure is all about stress. We even call it in medical circles what? What's the medical name for high blood pressure? Yeah, hypertension. And someone says, but Dr. DeRose, I'm not tense. I'm just very low-key, very laid-back, and my blood pressure is still 180 over 110. How could it be? Well, yes, stress contributes to high blood pressure, but there's some very, very interesting connections with blood pressure and I want to take a a few minutes with you to talk about them. Sometimes we'll go through all the unusual causes of high blood pressure, certain tumors, you may have heard of Cushing's disease, you may uh, have been reading last night about pheochromocytoma, you know, before you went to bed. There's all these kind of unusual causes of high blood pressure, okay? But most people have what we call primary or essential high blood pressure. Now here's what's so interesting about this. In these cases, there's typically an underlying genetic or intrauterine predisposition that then is superimposed on other environmental or lifestyle factors. And let me tell you some of the really interesting research that's coming out about what happens in the womb. What happens during your mother's pregnancy, the research is indicating, affects the development of your kidneys and the number of nephrons, filtering units that your kidneys have. And so stress to the mother during pregnancy, especially late in the pregnancy, can result in you being born with less kidney filtering units than optimal, so that from birth, you can be predisposed to either normal blood pressure or high blood pressure. There's some very fascinating research that's looked at this. Some of it comes from the transplant literature. So let's say you get an autoimmune disease like lupus. Maybe you've heard of systemic lupus erythematosus. It's an autoimmune disease. The body's attacking itself. One of the organs that can be destroyed by lupus is, guess what? Your kidney. So let's just say that you had normal blood pressure all your life, 100 over 60, You know, the doctors marvel. But then you get lupus, your kidneys are wiped out by the disease, and you end up on the transplant list. You end up getting a kidney transplant. And you get to be off dialysis, but there's something unusual. Now that you've got that new kidney, your blood pressure is running 170 over 115. You never had this problem. What's going on? You have to be on high blood pressure medication. Well, it turns out, The person whose kidney you were given tended to run a blood pressure of about 170 over 115 without medication, okay? The same is true with the flip side. I'm making it a little bit more dramatic than the, than the, re, but the research shows this very connection. I mean, it's not going to be exactly the same as you're running, but you, you understand we take a little poetic license. Some of you are health professionals and you're kind of raising your eyebrows. You know, is it really exactly the same? No, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it predisposes you. So similarly, if you have high blood pressure all your life, And maybe even diabetes, you lose your kidneys and you get a kidney transplant from someone who had low blood pressure all their life. What do you think your blood pressure is likely to be? Low. So why this is so important? It's so important because here we're talking about lifestyle. And there's a danger, and we've talked about this before. Some of you have been with us from the beginning of the week. And I have a great fear when I speak to Adventist audiences about lifestyle. And the great fear I have is that you'll come to Dr. DeRosa's hypertension lecture, and then you'll go back to your church, and you'll say, Brother, I know why you have high blood pressure. You're obviously eating meat when no one's looking, okay? Because doctor, we're going to find that actually animal products raise blood pressure. But here's the point. Someone can be on a great lifestyle, and they can have high blood pressure. Someone else can be on a lousy lifestyle and have normal blood pressure, okay? So we can't go around pointing fingers and judging people. Hey, did you hear what I... You you wouldn't believe what I saw. The pastor? He was in the bathroom? I that was blood pressure medicine. He actually is taking blood pressure medicine. We need to call a church board meeting. Okay? He obviously is not following the proper lifestyle. This is the wrong conclusion to draw. Do you understand? And so we see we can't identify those genetic factors, those early lifestyle factors. So as if we really believe and we really understand all there is about the wonderful health message God has given us, we will be more compassionate in dealing with people. You see, we won't be judging people. We won't be telling everyone, well, I lowered my blood pressure by doing this. If you would just do this and come to my cooking class, your blood pressure will be normal too. You have to have faith, brothers and sisters, like I did. No, you understand there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. We're sharing information that helps anyone lower their blood pressure. But lowering your blood pressure, if your mother was extremely stressed in the womb and you got very bad genetics, your natural strategies to lower blood pressure might allow you just to be on two blood pressure pills instead of eight. And there are people on that many drugs for their blood pressure, okay? If the best you know is to take a pill, take the pill. I will, I will tell you, I have met conscientious people. I think of one right now. She comes to mind. Very conscientious woman. Very serious Christian. Seventh-day Adventist. She didn't want to take the pills the doctor was giving her. She knew she could control her blood pressure with natural things. And in fact, every now and then it was okay. But most of the time it was running very high. The last I heard, she had had a serious stroke. Okay? And to me that's tragic, okay? You do the best you know. You have to treat high blood pressure And if you can get off the medications, great, but if not, use the medication. How are we doing with blood pressure therapy in America? We're not doing all that great. You can see we're doing a lot better today. That's here, some of the most recent data, NHANES, the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, a cross-sectional survey of the United States. About 50% of those with high blood pressure have their blood pressure controlled compared to 10% back in the 70s. So that's progress, right? How many of you think that sounds good? If you got a 50% on a test, what grade would you expect to get? Okay. Yeah, we're not doing real well, okay? We're not doing real well. And why is it, though? Why are people doing so poorly when it's such an important condition? I ask the question, is it mainly because of the lack of acceptance of the conventional approach to high blood pressure, which is what? What is our conventional approach to high blood pressure in America? That's right, it is medication. And uh, we're going to look right now at kind of a, a pro-con list. We're going to look at the pros of treating blood pressure versus the cons of taking blood pressure medication. We're going to have two columns, common symptoms of blood pressure medications, and then common symptoms of untreated high blood pressure, okay? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of compare these two. We're going to say which of these lists looks better to you. So we'll start first with the list on the left. And you can see here many people who take Various blood pressure medications end up having to urinate more frequently. You say, well, not all that bad. You know, if Dr. DeRose gets long-winded and not that interested, at least I have an excuse to get up, and at least my significant other understands why I'm leaving. Fatigue. Well, not sounding so good. Now, granted, here in my lectures, you got points for having fatigue, because when you slept, I gave you credit for being fast learners, remember? <laughs> Okay, but most of the time we don't, we were talking about the benefits of rest for those of you who haven't been with us throughout the week. But fatigue, most of us don't want to be more tired, okay? Dizziness, now this is not sounding too good either. Uncontrollable cough, exercise limitations, sexual dysfunction and depression. I don't know. If that was the sign-up sheet I was passing around, how many of you would have signed up for those symptoms? Probably none of you, right? Well, let's, now, but we got to compare that with the typical symptoms of untreated high blood pressure. We want to say, well, which list looks better to you, okay? So let's go through the list of typical symptoms of untreated high blood pressure. There are none. So most people with high blood pressure are perfect, they feel perfectly fine. I remember a woman came to me, she heard that we were working, uh, this was while I was at, uh, at Weimar, she heard that we were helping people get off their medications for high blood pressure. And she was recently diagnosed with hypertension some six months ago. She had already been on six different drugs. She would see another physician in the community. And one after another, she'd put her on a drug, and then what would happen? She'd have one of these complications or something else. And she'd say, I can't take this. And so after six months, how did she feel? Yeah, I mean, she was almost tempted to say, well, who can't? I mean, I felt fine with the high blood pressure. This is another really interesting study. It's called a meta-analysis where they pool data from all kinds of different research studies on common medications used to treat high blood pressure. These are abbreviations for common classes of drugs. The one on the bottom here are the so-called beta blockers. If you are started on a beta blocker for high blood pressure, by the way, this is no longer recommended as a first-line drug for high blood pressure alone, but if you're put on that drug, the odds are that in a year or less nearly 75% odds you will not be on that drug. You will not tolerate it, and you'll say, you know, you'll stop taking it or tell the doctor, i got to be on something different. Diuretics, water pills, about half the people that are put on a diuretic for high blood pressure are not on that pill a year later. You can see even the best tolerated blood pressure medications, only two-thirds of the people still sticking with those medications after a year. This is, I think, why we have such a big problem. People really, they want to know natural things they can do to control their blood pressure because medications have a bunch of side effects that it brings. In fact, I say to people, is it possible that the high blood pressure medications are creating more pressure or stress than the high blood pressure itself? And I ask the question, might there be a better way? Might there be a no pressure solution to high blood pressure? What do you think? Might there be a? And we're not talking about lowering your blood pressure to zero over zero. I just mean no pressure, as far as you know, no stress, not stressing you out. If you can remember this phrase, no pressure, just two words. How do you think you could leave this lecture remembering no pressure? That's uh, pretty easy, right? Some of you like these acronyms. There's a whole bunch of different ones, and uh, no pressure is the acronym that we use in our uh, DVD series and in the book for strategies to naturally control your blood pressure. You may have guessed it, the N stands for nutrition. The O stands for optimal beverage choices. P is for physical exercise. R is for rest. E is for environment. S, the first S is for stress management. Then we have social support. Use of natural adjuncts, we'll talk some about those hopefully. Refraining from pressers and excesses. That's a mouthful, but it's really the concept of temperance. And exercising faith in God. Okay, So I know that went by quickly. You'll get to see a slide like this uh, more than once as we talk together this afternoon. But again, any slide I project, if you're on our mailing list, my wife is faithfully, she's really helping me. When I'm on the road alone, I'm the one keying all these in. But she's putting them in to a... uh, a database that will just send all of you, all the handouts that we had this week, and you'll also get the notifications when we come out with new resources at Compass Health, like the high blood pressure book that's in the works. So you don't have to write it all down. But if you're writing, you're remembering it better probably. Um, You can buy the seminar DVD at amazingfacts.org. Amazing Facts actually produces this. So all of my DVDs that I produce, that Compass Health produces, are half price. This one, we don't make it, so we can't offer it that inexpensively, but it's $20 here. You get it for $27 online. But if you go to the back of the room today and you see a DVD marked for $10, it would be $20 online. Same in the ABC. So everything is marked half price. The only thing that's not is this one, and that's because Amazing Facts produces it, and we don't directly uh, publish that okay some of you have been uh, wanting to email me you already know my domain compasshealth.net and uh, some of you have got good memories you know a compass does what for you um, that's right guides you gives you direction we've been speaking about health and why is it.net? yeah we want you to be fishers of men okay so compasshealth.net that's my website you can send me an email if you want Dr. drderose at compasshealth.net and i should mention The um, enviable distinction that I have, I don't know that I've never heard anyone else say this, but I can tell you honestly that if you call me or send me an email, I have never failed to respond. Never. So long as you're persistent enough. Okay? So if after the fifth email you still have not heard from me, do not blame me you need to send that sixth or seventh email okay so really as long as you're persistent enough i will get to you and of course that's a bit tongue-in-cheek because i run around a lot and uh, things do get uh, missed i think i saw an email that someone sent me a question from a year ago somehow it came up in some search i was looking for something else so and they only they only emailed me once their fault you're right okay (laughs) So send me, but really, you do need to be persistent. Like while I'm here at camp meeting, I'm not answering a bunch of emails. We've we've had our hands full with a lot of things. Okay, this is, um, I don't know if you like this cover design or not. We're not convinced that this is what we're going to use, but this is one of the uh, artist's conceptions for the 30 days to natural blood pressure control. What do you think? Any of you like the cover or you don't like it? How many of you like it? Let's get an informal vote. How many of you don't like it? Okay, a few, you, a few of you, we have a few graphic designers who don't like it, okay. Well, we may end up using that, but we're, we're still looking at some different um, cover ideas. And you see the subtitle is the no pressure solution. Okay, so let's uh, go ahead and look at some of these natural therapies. I'm not going to give you any more uh, background. Just don't throw all your drugs down the toilet because you get so excited. And uh, there's a number of reasons for that that you'll just have to trust me on if you're not already aware of that, including heart attacks and uncontrolled blood pressure. But let's talk a little bit about nutrition first. Nutrition is a fascinating topic when it comes to high blood pressure, and there's three nutrition principles that we want to touch on today in the brief amount of time, the limited time that we have. Increasing plant food consumption has been shown to lower blood pressure, controlling calories, and decreasing salt intake. Now, you know, I should have checked this before coming here today, Um, but in the book and in the full series, when we ask this question, do typical diet practices make a difference, we actually have a study that I think was done here uh, at camp meetings in Michigan. But I don't have that here right now. I'm just going to look at the broader Adventist health study data. This is one of the most fascinating graphs that I think has come out of the Adventist health study, the current version of it. In fact, um, some months ago, someone ran into me and they said, Dr. DeRose, I heard you speak, and I just changed my whole life. And I was just you know, starting to kind of feel proud of what a great communicator I was. And then the person said, but it was nothing that you said. <laughs> they said it was that one slide that you showed. And it was this one. He was referring to this slide. You know, the Lord has ways of keeping us all realizing that he is the only one that is worthy of praise, okay? But this is an amazing slide. And what it basically shows, if you look at it quickly is it's like stair steps. If you want to decrease your risk of diabetes or high blood pressure, what the data from the Adventist Health Study shows is get rid of more and more animal products. You say, well, Dr. droz I'm already essentially a vegetarian. We call those people semi-vegetarians. They're eating red meat, poultry, and fish less than once a week, but they're still eating it some. And you can see here, they lower their risk of high blood pressure and diabetes, both diabetes here, high blood pressure here, in the range of what, 30%. That's that's important. But if they get rid of all the meat and poultry, and they're just having fish, milk, eggs, vegetable products, they're pesco-vegetarians, about half the risk of these diseases. If they get rid of the fish and they're just lacto ovo vegetarians, they're down to what? About a third the risk. But the very lowest risk of these conditions is in who? The vegans, okay? Yeah. So this is not a religious mantra, you know, that you've got to be a vegan, but the point is the data, the research data, shows us the less animal products we eat, the better our blood pressure, the less our risk of diabetes. You say, but Dr. Rose... Some of you are scientists. You're saying, this is cross-sectional data, and it is. So we're looking at one point in time. You say, I want to know if this really makes a difference for me. I have high blood pressure now. Well, that's been studied, too. Some of you may have heard of Dr. Neil Barnard. He and Dr. Susan Burko did uh, an analysis of some 80 scientific studies and what they found. I'll just read what they found. Randomized clinical trials, so that's experimental studies, have shown that blood pressure is lowered when animal products are replaced with vegetable products in both normotensives and hypertensives. So that means no matter, even if your blood pressure, the doctor says, oh, it's okay, 135 over 85. But you said, well, I came to Dr. DeRose's lecture. He said it would be better if it was 110 over 70. I want to get it lower. The doctor won't give me pills. By the way, you think this is a far-fetched scenario. I didn't plan this, but someone called me from out of state Someone that I worked with in the past, another health professional, and they were very worried. Their blood pressure had always been very low, and their blood pressure is running just in that range, in the 130s, over 80s. And they said, what should I do? The doctor won't give me medicine for it. And what did I say? I said, you're in luck. Our book is almost out. And uh, make sure I have your email address. We'll let you know. Well, it's true. One of the things you can do, though, is improve your diet. Why are the plant foods so powerful at lowering blood pressure? Well, One of the reasons is there are many things, many dietary substances in plant products that help relax the blood vessels. Some of them are those more esoteric phytochemicals that we talked about earlier in the week. But some of them are the mundane minerals that we talk about, magnesium and calcium. Now, a lot of people, they look at a list like this and they say, wait a minute, wait, calcium? But isn't that milk? Isn't it dairy? How many of you realize that the dairy in cooked greens is much more bioavailable than the the calcium? Thank you. That's why my wife comes to my lectures. Keep me straight. The calcium is much more bioavailable in the cooked greens than it is in milk. You only can get about 30% of the calcium out of the milk, where you get about 50% or better out of the greens. Now, there are some exceptions. Spinach and Swiss chard, for example, have oxalic acid that interferes with calcium absorption. But by and large, cooked green leafy vegetables, superior source of calcium. These foods, excellent sources of magnesium. And calcium and magnesium, very important for optimal blood pressure. If they're raw, you won't be able to eat as much. Okay? Okay. Yeah, I mean, they have just as much calcium per calorie or magnesium per calorie. Um, per calorie, it's true. But yeah, a green smoothie, you'll get more. Yeah, a green smoothie, you'll get more. But, but let's talk about the phytochemicals. So calcium, magnesium, great sources of the plant foods. What about the phytochemicals? Well, if we had an hour, we might be able to talk... Um, in some detail, about the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. Some of you already know all about this, and you'd just be bored. Others of you could care less. The point is this is a hormonal system, if you will, that is involved with blood pressure regulation. Many of the most popular medications today, many classes actually of blood pressure medicines, work on this system. One of the key compounds in this system is something called angiotensin converting enzyme, which is illustrated right here. And I know some of you are looking at this, your teachers as well. You're saying, Dr. DeRose, you're never supposed to put a slide that, that's com- that is that complicated up. It's just confusing to people. That's exactly why I have it up there. I'm trying to show you how complex this is and that we can't talk about it in detail. But this thing that only, only those of you can read that have recently seen your eye doctor, okay? <laughs> The ophthalmologists also like me to put these slides up there. And by the way, if you're not aware of this, vision screening is very important, okay? Because you could be losing your vision from things like glaucoma or macular degeneration or from changes from your blood pressure or diabetes. If they're not picked up on early, you can't stop those processes in their tracks. Many of those processes are treatable. So um, if you haven't had an eye exam recently, it's something uh, you you should be planning on. Okay? And Sonia's going to call the eye doctor for me, too. It's been, been a while for me. Okay. So look at this now. Phytochemicals that impact this angiotensin, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system that I was just illustrating. This is very interesting research from the agriculture journals, What they're showing us is that plant foods actually have these ACE inhibitory compounds. So if you're taking a drug like lisinopril, a very popular drug for high blood pressure, it is an ACE inhibitor. Well, there's small amounts, if you will, of something like lisinopril in soybeans and mung beans and sunflower, rice, corn, wheat, buckwheat, broccoli, mushrooms, garlic, onions, you see the list, peanuts, chickpeas, and potatoes. So as you're eating these plant foods, what are you ingesting? That's right. You're taking in foods that actually help lower your blood pressure. It's as if the Creator has put things in the foods that He gave us in the beginning to help us prevent disease. You know, I'll tell you, some years ago, uh, those of you that have heard me speak or have been here from earlier in the week, you realize that I was not raised a Seventh-day Adventist. I didn't tell you all about how terrible my lifestyle was, but I frequented the fast food restaurants and you know, helped uh, make successes of organizations that uh, have become family uh, words in the American uh, vocabulary. For example, there was this little uh, restaurant when I was growing up in Chicago. And uh, they had a sign they were actually tracking how much I was frequenting them. It started with something like dozens served. and by the time you know I had finished, they were up to something like millions or billions. And uh, the, the point is that those were the kind of places that I was eating i didn 't value these kind of foods like I now do. so even though many years after I became a vegetarian. Uh, my company, Compass Health, we do a lot of health media work. We do consulting. We were working with a small medical publisher and doing some literature research for them. And as I was doing literature research, we were, they asked us to do some sci- you know, look through scientific studies on phytochemicals. And as I'm going through these phytochemicals, I'm looking at all these amazing things that God has put in the whole plant products. Now, at that time, being from, uh, how many of you remember where three of my grandparents were born? Italy. They were born in Italy. That's right. There was actually something, a vegetarian product in my diet that was not a whole plant food, that was one of the staples that I was raised on. Would any of you like to hazard a guess as to what that was? Well, cheese was a staple, yes. Wine was a staple in the diet there, the family. Yes, it was white pasta. How did that woman know it? Oh, it was my wife who said it. That's exactly right. Yeah, it was white pasta. And so... You know, as I'm reading through this literature, now I'm already a vegetarian. I'm a vegan, but I'm eating white pasta. And as I'm doing this research, I start saying, wow, God has put all these powerful disease-preventing compounds into the whole plant foods. And my stomach is only so big. And I just started to lose my appetite for white pasta. Because even though I grew up eating it and liked it, I said, you know, I've got to eat the whole wheat pasta. And I have to do that. Because, uh, I want to get all the benefit I can when I eat. I want to get, so it's not that I'm trying to avoid disease, although that's a motivation. I'm trying to eat as much of those good healthy foods without overeating, and the only way I can do it is by eating the whole plant foods. You see how it works? By the way, how many phytochemicals do you get in animal products? Yeah, virtually none. I mean, it's possible that uh, an animal could, you know, certain of the phytochemicals could have them in its body or derivatives of the phytochemicals. But the point is, phytochemicals come from plants. So just get them firsthand, and you will actually be eating foods that help lower your blood pressure. Well... Other things that are important as far as blood pressure control in the dietary realm, if you're overweight, losing weight is important. We talked some about this. We didn't have a whole lecture on weight loss, but I know you've got some great people teaching you about health coaching and and, uh, great resources here. By the way, if you want to individually interact with me, let me just tell you what what we're doing this afternoon, just so you know my schedule. Provided the Lord blesses with, uh, with the time frames. I'm going to be in the back of the room, if I can get back there after I finish my lecture. And I'll be there until just about they're ready to start the next session where they'll be talking about health coaching. And then I'm going to slip out because I've promised them that I would head over to the health food store in Edmore. If you've been there, they got a sign that Dr. DeRose is going to be consulting with people from 3.45 to 5. So I'm going to be over there. That's my plan till 5 o'clock. Then I'll head back to my living quarters and get situated for sabbath and be over here the lord willing by six o'clock in this room tonight if, if others of you have questions and want to talk or visit you haven't caught up with me yet you, it's fair game if you see me i'm planning to be here all day tomorrow if you see me at any time you know just grab me if it's a bad time i'll tell you you don't have to apologize you don't have to say dr de rose is it okay it's the sabbath i don't want you to make you work um, we go into ministry, I mean, you know, what if your pastor said, I've decided I'm no longer preaching on Sabbath because uh, the ministry God has called me to do, I still need a break on Saturdays. What would you say? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so when God calls you to ministry, you're happy to minister on the Sabbath, so you don't have to feel bad asking me questions. And uh, yeah, if I'm about to, you know, keel over, one of you thought if you get, told me all your problems, I would pass out or run away. <laughs> When someone actually told me that, and if it does look like I'm getting a little bit woozy and you know kind of unstable, well then at least help me find a seat and then give me a break. okay? But, but that's the plan. So if you want to talk about some weight loss strategies or other things in more detail, we can do that. But I'm not going to spend any more time about this. You will get this slide. If you're getting the handouts, seven keys to weight loss... Um, There's a lot of good material on appetite control in a series that some of you have already purchased, Listening to the Buffalo. We've also got another series here called Changing Bad Habits for Good that also goes through a lot of the principles. Uh, By the way, this is one of the, um, some insights from Native Americans and how they controlled their appetite. That's what's in that Listening to the Buffalo DVD, okay? So, let's hasten on, and you should be happy the quicker I fly through these slides because, remember, I told you, every slide I showed you would be in the handouts. So the fewer slides I show you, the less will you get in your handout. So instead of being frustrated that you can't read them, you should be happy that you get to look at them later. Here's what Paul said, though. This is uh, is worth saying. We looked at Philippians earlier. Philippians chapter 3. Remember, he's wrongfully imprisoned. He did nothing wrong, Paul. And he says this, My friends, I don't feel that I've already arrived. But I forget what is behind and I struggle for what is ahead. I run to the goal. And then later on in chapter 4, that quote that we've uh, uh, quoted many times, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul was basically saying, putting it into the health context. Of course, that was not the contextual reason for the statement. But if we were to apply it to what we're talking about today, don't look back at how you failed in the past. Look at where you want to go. And basically, there are things that you can do and that God can help you with that can make a difference. If you're a heavy salt user, this can be a problem with blood pressure. Um, You can't leave all salt out. Do not say you're going on the no-salt diet. You will die if you go on a sodium-free diet. Zero sodium is not compatible with life. You do need sodium. By the way, it's interesting, isn't it, that in Ellen White's day, when other, quote, health reformers, not of our faith... We're talking about total avoidance of salt. Ellen White said we should not do this. Do you remember this? And she actually said the whys and wherefores of this, I don't know. God had revealed to her that we can't make a total break with sodium, and I don't recommend you do that either. But cutting down our sodium can be beneficial. There's a lot in these uh, handouts that will go into detail. How many lives it could be saved? This is the New England Journal of Medicine. Did these calculations about five years ago, five, six years ago. And what they found is basically looking at the best data available, we could cut the death rate in America from things like coronary heart disease and stroke by tens of thousands of lives by just on average decreasing our sodium intake by half a teaspoon a day. They say, I don't even eat that much a day. Well, the average American is eating a couple teaspoons uh, in that range a day. And uh, most of that comes from processed and restaurant foods. It's not what you're doing at the table. It's foods that you're buying. If you're not reading labels, you're probably getting too much sodium. Here's the real good news, and that is the tastes change. When we talk about changing your lifestyle, and we do this whole mini-series, Changing Bad Habits for Good, on this topic. By the way, if you're doing a series in your church, this is one of the topics. If you had me come to your church and do a health series, by the way, this is not telling you that if you invite me, I'll come. Most invitations I have to turn down, because only one of me. And uh, there's a lot of need out there. But many of you, I know, are doing good work in your own churches. But when I do a series in a church, I often speak on this theme, changing bad habits for good at first, because I find that most people have these reservations about healthful living. They think it's going to make their life miserable. They think, you know, it's it's extreme. It's going to rob them of life's quality. And we help them see in these two short presentations that basically you can develop new enjoyments. That's the way God's created us, and we tell you how to do that. So if you're not having me come to your church, pick up the DVD, Changing Bad Habits for Good, and uh, we walk you through that. But here's a practical application. You don't need the DVD. Just listen very carefully to the next 60 or 90 seconds. This is a study of showing what happens to salt preference when you dramatically decrease your intake of salt. So these are individuals who cut their salt intake at the beginning of the study, and here's how, much, how salty they liked their food, and this was about as salty as commercial soups were being served in that era. This is from the 80s. It's a classic study. What they found after just one week on the low-sodium diet, their preference for saltiness had already decreased, but it continued to decrease for about three months until they reached a lower lower set point, if you will, for salt desire. About half as much as what they were accustomed to. So they liked the food just as much here as back here, only they were eating what? Half the salt. So, And this is true not just with salt, it's true with fat. It's true with other lifestyle habits. If you make a dramatic change in your lifestyle and you stick with it, you can develop new enjoyments, but don't make the mistake that most people make. You know what the mistake they make? They say, I'm gonna reward myself, you see, with that delicious, you know, if we had Doug Batchelor here, maybe it's that delicious ice cream, okay? And uh, so I, I've made a clean break with it, you know, I've, I weigh 500 pounds. And uh, the Lord was convicting me to give it up, but I'm, I'm eating a you know, half gallon of ice cream every day. I have diabetes, high cholesterol. I'm convinced by the Holy Spirit I need to get rid of this, but I'm just going to have a small bowl once a week. Isn't that better yeah. than a, a whole half gallon a day? Yeah. The problem is when you cut back, you can actually increase the desire for the substance. So all week long, you're longing for the ice cream, you see? And so instead of ever getting free from it, you live a life of Deprivation. It's very interesting. Sometimes when I speak about this, we point out an analogy with the Ten Commandments. You know, they are called the Ten Commandments for a reason, right? What do you think? Do you think it would have been more appealing to the Israelite psyche for God to have given them ten suggestions? What do you think? Wouldn't that be more appealing, appealing, though? I mean, what do you like better? If you come and see the if you see me as a physician and I gave you 10 commandments, you would be tempted to say, well, what kind of, who does he think he is, right? Now, if I gave you 10 suggestions, wouldn't that be more palatable? No? Well, we could have a big debate about it. I see some of you, you know, it's a, you're definitely divided on this. But here's my point. God, our creator, often instructs us as far as all or none when it comes to certain lifestyle practices. And I'm not saying everything's that way. Someone says, well, Dr. DeRose, I overeat on everything. That's why I'm overweight. I'm a compulsive overeater. And if I had time, I'd ask the person, do you really overeat on everything? Do you overeat on broccoli at breakfast? Okay. Um, Really, but, but you understand where I'm going with this. The Holy Spirit convicts us oftentimes to get rid of something, and we try to hold on to it. Instead of doing ourselves a favor, we're just punishing ourselves. It's like the smoker who's just going to have one cigarette a day. It's not a sustainable program, okay? Well, enough for changing bad habits for good. You got the message. Don't be afraid to make big changes. If God's leading you to make them, He'll give you the power to make the changes, and He'll change your desires. Well, clean breaks are especially powerful. Even when they're not possible, like with sodium, we still can develop new enjoyments. Well, let's hasten on. You would think since we talked about nutrition first, we're going to speak about what next? No, we're gonna speak about social support because I know we won't be able to cover everything. I see some of your jaws just dropping. Social support, I wanna know what to drink, Dr. DeRose. No, this is so important, and I've told you about this throughout the week, but I wanna give you some more tangible evidence of this. When you're doing programs for your community, help people understand the power of social support. One of the regular professional settings I find myself in virtually every year, I plan to be there this year, this year the American Public Health Association Ten or 15,000 health professionals from around the world will be convening in Denver. And uh, I plan to be there. And one of the themes, more recently, the public health community is very concerned about social support. They're concerned about healthy communities. They're concerned about doing things that make it easier for people to live healthfully. And so your churches are powerful resources in your community, and most of your community members don't know it. So you can honestly tell people you need to keep coming back to our church because here is a supportive environment for the kind of changes you want to make. You came to the cooking class, you go back, you know, other places, your place of work, people aren't necessarily going to be supportive. Come, keep coming to programs that we have here. Now, I, I, I usually say that a little bit more tactfully. I'm just trying to make the point here. But the point is, this is really a powerful point. The more social connections you have, we saw earlier in the week, we were speaking about the immune system. It decreased the risk of cancer, remember, and can, increased cancer survival in that uh, nurse's health study cohort. Look at this, social support and high blood pressure. This is a Swiss study, and what they found is lower perceived social support was a characteristic of people with higher blood pressure. So in other words, less social support, higher blood pressure. That's why you need to keep going to church. Low social support tends to elevate your stress hormone levels. When the stress hormone levels go up, they raise blood pressure they worsen blood sugar, they cause you to put more weight in around the middle. Now, this is a fascinating study. Just a few years ago, one of the most prestigious publishing groups in medicine is the Nature Publishing Group, and this came out in one of their studies. This was the title of the study, Collective Behavior in the Spatial Spreading of Obesity. I don't think I threw any of the graphics in here, but um, what they actually did is they mapped obesity trends in America. And what it actually looked like, it looked like the spread of an infectious disease. And the epicenter, like the, the focal point where that disease was, was in the southeastern United States, and it was spreading. And what, as they looked at this, the researchers said things like this, social and societal factors may ultimately be greater determinants of obesity than our personal choices. Where we live. Who we keep company with may be among the most important factors when it comes to weight optimization. so why should, why should you hang out with those crazy people in your church who are you know on all these extreme diets? Well, you know if they weigh hundred pounds less than you, they might be people I mean they might be a little bit unbalanced in some respects, but, but maybe they need your balance okay and here's the point the people you keep company with affect You. So that's why your your churches, you don't have to be ashamed of this. You have bulwarks in your community, fortresses in your community for people who want to improve their health that you should invite them back. And I know some of you do monthly supper clubs. Some of you aren't churches that are doing that. When I was pastoring, we did a lot of health evangelism. You probably would figure that a physician would do that. But we had a monthly follow-up group. Anyone who came to any of our health programs, we invited them back to that monthly meeting. And you know what? Some months, not that many people came. But other months, a lot of people came. Just once a month, we did something. You say, but Dr. DeRose, what can we do? You know, once a month, that adds up. That's 12 programs a year. Well, why do you think we have DVDs at half price? Okay? There's plenty of other good resources out there besides stuff that we have. Well... This is really interesting. Now, if you haven't been coming to the health coaching sessions, this is basically telling you you've been missing out on something. You've got to talk with uh, Evelyn and Joanne and find out how to get the, the tapes or whatever, because this is coming out in the medical research literature. And this particular study from one of the family practice journals, look at the title of the study, Delegating Responsibility from Clinicians to what? Non-Professional Personnel, the Example of Hypertension Control. What they say in this article is there's so much we can do in the lifestyle realm when it comes to blood pressure. The doctors, the nurse practitioners, the physician's assistants, the medical clinics, they just don't have time. There's so many millions of people with high blood pressure. If we could just harness the laity, the non-professionals to be involved in making a difference with high blood pressure. Wow. I mean, it's just what they're doing here. I, don't, I guess Evelyn and Joanne knew about studies like this, and they're, they're trying to give you the tools so you can do that back home. And so I'm not going to go through all their rationale, but the whole point is, is basically, we need to be involved as churches, as communities, intervening in the health arena, and we can do that safely within certain parameters. Well, some of you were disappointed that we didn't talk about beverages yet, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll t- make a few remarks about beverages, but then we're going to open up for questions and answers, especially about high blood pressure, because there's no way we can talk about all of this material. I mean, the book that we've got coming out is over, I think it's going to be like 250 pages. So there's a lot of material on all these topics, and you may have some individual questions. But let me tell you about uh, beverages, just make it really simple. What do you think the optimal beverage is for blood pressure? I don't need to talk with you guys. Did you know that caffeine raises blood pressure? Moderate alcohol use is bad for blood pressure. We could go through all the explanations for it, and if you have some questions about it, we can not talk about that. But let me tell you a few that you may not have heard of. One here is environment. There's actually very good data. We look at a number of things under environment, everything from fresh air to sunshine, those kind of things that you would expect. But we also look at noise. And noise exposure is a significant risk factor for high blood pressure. If you're living in a noisy environment, if you're sleeping near a heavily trafficked road, your blood pressure will be higher than what it would be if you were in a quieter part of town. Now you say, but Dr. DeRose, I have a reverse mortgage, I can't move. Here's what they've shown in the research. If you just move your bedroom from the side where the road is to the other side of the house, your blood pressure will go down. So chronic noise exposure is a risk factor for high blood pressure. I know a lot of people are interested in the uh, natural adjuncts. What kind of other natural things can you do beside lifestyle? First, I will tell you there is nothing as powerful when it comes to lowering your blood pressure as a comprehensive lifestyle program. But we do talk about a number of supplements and other agents that do help to lower blood pressure in the research. Melatonin, controlled-release melatonin at night, has blood pressure-lowering properties. Coenzyme Q10 has blood pressure lowering properties. Hibiscus tea and vitamin D. Boy, this rhymes. I could have made some kind of a poem, couldn't I? That, you know, hibiscus tea, vitamin D. Um, Magnesium supplementation. Those are a number of the things that we talk about in the uh, chapter, some of the natural things, additional things you can do. But it's toward the end of the book, and it's not just, well, I guess it's. It's partly because of the mnemonic, but we don't go directly in order. I do in the book like we did here, and I put social support earlier because I think it's so important, it's often missed. But really, I find many people, they want to, quote, go on a natural blood pressure program, and what they mean by that is they don't want to change their diet, they don't want to exercise, they don't want to get adequate sleep. By the way, if you're shorting yourself on sleep, your blood pressure will be higher than it should be, and you'll be more prone to diabetes, okay? So that's why I always give per- people permission to sleep during my lectures, okay? But having said all that, having said all that, those lifestyle practices are more powerful than any combination of natural compounds. So don't, quick, you know, don't get the book and quickly go to chapter 11 or whatever chapter it is, I think it might be chapter 12, and, uh, and say, well, I'm going to find out what are the natural things to do. Okay, hibiscus tea, vitamin D, magnesium, melatonin okay I got it and I'll keep eating and and uh, not exercising and not getting enough sleep uh, anyway okay uh, mention one other thing for you that uh, that is worth knowing we talked a little bit about this earlier and that's in this area of temperance we talked about the principle of temperance being the total avoidance of things that are harmful but using things that are good in moderation Some of those things that uh, we want to use as little as possible, many of you are aware of this now, are those common pain relievers that are over-the-counter. Almost all over-the-counter pain relievers raise blood pressure. Okay. So if you're using these compounds, what you use instead, one of the things we recommend is using things like the omega-3 fats, which have blood pressure-lowering properties, and turmeric, the yellow-orange herb, we also uh, mentioned in the book Boswellia, another natural agent that can be of help. Okay, I want to give you a chance to ask some questions. We've got about 10 minutes for your questions, especially related to high blood pressure and things that I haven't been able to cover. Evelyn's getting the special bonus of getting more exercise than the rest of you, and you've got to get her attention. Okay, first question. Okay, when is, what is the name of my new book? It's 30 Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control. And it's supposed to be out within the next month. And if you gave us your email address and it was legible, you'll get, um, what we're talking about is a special, very special pricing on an, the ebook that will come out first. So uh, probably a quarter of the price of what the print book will be.
0: I don't have email.
1: You don't have email. But I can my address. No, let me tell you, this is wonderful. I'm glad that someone admitted to not doing email. This this is great. When I have people in the audience who don't get email, this is just a call for you to get socially connected. You see? And if you don't already have a friend in this room, you say, I'm counting on you. I have not met you, but I need this material. Would you please uh, get the material from Dr. DeRose and print it out, and I'll pay you, and I'll even buy you a free copy of one of Dr. DeRose's DVDs. Okay, however you want to build social support, Okay, okay. Okay. So, <laughs> Okay, who's next? Who's got the in reference
0: to the um beta blocker and blood pressure? If a person who is clinically depressed is on a beta blocker, can you
1: Okay, so the question is: beta blockers and people who have high blood pressure and depression. Beta blockers uh can be useful. They're used in people that have had heart attacks. They can decrease the risk of a second heart attack. People with heart failure, they may benefit from beta blockers. I'm not saying that everyone should throw these away. By the way, they're some of the most dangerous drugs to stop abruptly. can actually trigger a heart attack to stop a beta blocker abruptly, so you definitely don't want to do that. But uh we definitely in, in depression and in other cases, lower energy level, poor exercise tolerance, we definitely try to get people off of beta blockers and switch switch them to another agent. We typically taper the beta blocker. If they need to be on an additional medication for their blood pressure, we will do that. If you're getting on a better lifestyle, you may be able to work with your doctor to just taper the blood, the beta blocker as you're getting on the following the better lifestyle practices because your blood pressure will be going down. Okay? Uh, other questions. Okay. I have
0: a whole quart-sized jar of powdered turmeric, and I the how do recommend mm-hmm.
1: Okay. The question is, how do you use turmeric? How to take it? This woman has a whole whole uh, jar, big jar of it. So, just another call to social support. You know, you can meet her and see if she wants to share her turmeric. But um, here's the here's the idea. The standard dosage of turmeric medicinally is about 1,500 milligrams a day. That's 500 milligrams three times a day. And some of the data indicates if you go up a lot higher than that, You're at higher risk of gastrointestinal uh, side effects. Some people take much more than that, seem to have no more problem. But in the book, we come out recommending in the range of 1500 milligrams a day. That's a relatively small amount. You can use it in cooking. Uh, I know someone, they said they just mix it with a little peanut butter because it's kind of a strong taste and they take it, uh, you know, with their meals. You know, however you can get it down. I recommend you do take it with food because for some people it is a little bit irritating to the stomach.
0: It's not as bad as it sounds. Just mix it with just a little bit
1: of water. Okay. So, so, Evelyn, you know, she's pretty austere, you know, f- but uh, uh, what, quantity what quantity is 500 milligrams? It's about the amount in a capsule, small capsule. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not, not a lot. Yeah. Okay. Next question, and we're trying to go quickly. If if I don't answer your questions fully, and you want to talk with me individually, I told you where you could find me, right?
0: Okay.
1: okay, optimal choice of beverage question.
0: Okay, this is kind of a little sidestep here, but I read in, in a women's magazine recently a gastroenterologist was stating that you know this he calls it an epidemic of drinking too much water. Um, which I can do. That, yeah. He said that it has come to the point where people he's I mean, not just talking about before or after he meant across the board, that we are in fact damaging uh, our bodies the, the stomach's acid and digestive processes to the point where we're not digesting our food properly
1: at all okay so yeah okay so the question is can we drink too much water can it yeah. dilute our acid uh, in the stomach can it harm our digestion i do not recommend drinking water with meals there's a number of reasons for it Uh, Drinking more water delays gastric emptying, so the stomach does not empty as efficiently if you put a bunch of water in there. You say, well, that's good. I'll feel full longer. Well, the problem with it is it also increases your risk of, of reflux and heartburn. So, yes, there are problems with drinking water with meals or in very close proximity to meals. But having said that, for most people, they are not getting enough water. You can drink too much water. We talked about this as far as your sodium level. We, you can get something called dilutional hyponatremia. That means you drink so much water that your sodium gets so low it can be life-threatening. How much water does it take? Does anyone remember? Yeah, if you're not on any medications and you have a healthy heart and kidneys, the research suggests the average person would need to take about four or five gallons of water to get too much. Now, if you're out exercising, you're running a marathon, and you're drinking pure water, no, it can be less than that, okay? Okay. So, because uh, you're losing salt in your sweat. But the bottom line is you can safely, most people, unless they have heart failure, kidney disease, some other problem, taking lots of diuretics, you can drink easily eight or ten glasses of water per day or more than that, and, and it can actually enhance your health. By the way, the cause of dilutional hyponatremia is because when you drink pure water, it causes your body to get rid of some sodium. Now, for most of us, it's actually good to get rid of some sodium because we got too much. So drinking a little bit more water actually helps your body get rid of excess sodium. And in fact, in the book, we have some of the research of Dr. Goldhammer, who's done a lot with fasting, and actually shown that fasting is one of the things that powerfully lowers blood pressure. We've also seen that clinically in some of our work. Okay, next question. Okay, okay. So verapamil and other drugs are called calcium channel blockers, and these drugs tend to be better tolerated than the beta blockers. And uh, they can be prescribed for rate control in people that have atrial fibrillation. They can be prescribed for blood pressure. So there's, there's multiple reasons why some people are on some of these medicines. And if your blood pressure is normal, sometimes you may actually benefit from one of them. So we're not just saying throw all your pills away. But here's the point I would make. Whatever blood pressure, if you're on a medicine exclusively for blood pressure, every one of those drugs has side effects every one of them now you may not be having any serious side effects but the less medications you can be on in general the better and if you follow the principles that we're talking about your likelihood of needing the medication will be much less okay other question how much vitamin D to maintain your vitamin D status at this time of year all you need is one half to one quarter of a minimal erythema dose of sunshine to your face arms and hands exactly what you wanted to know right you say, I have no idea what you just said. A minimal erythemal dose is the amount of sun it takes to turn your skin a light pink. You don't need to get that much sun. You just need one half to one quarter of that amount in the sunshine. Well, how long is that, you say? It depends on what kind of skin type you have and what time of year it is and what time of day you go out. But you don't have, you're not supposed to get red. That small amount of sunshine is enough to give you more than adequate vitamin D levels, and that even accounts for days that are cloudy or rainy, okay? But you say, well, what about in the winter? How much do I take? It generally takes, for most people, about 2,000 international units a day to maintain your vitamin D level. If your vitamin D level is low, we're going to typically prescribe 5,000 to 10,000 units a day to get your levels up, Uh, but I wouldn't want you to take 10,000 a day indefinitely. You can get toxic. Once you get to around 5,000 a day, You've got to be very careful. Um, you can run into risk of toxicity. Vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin, so it, can, it is stored and it can, you can get toxic levels of it. Uh, that's right. So, um, we do recommend in the book just what Evelyn uh, is recommending you can be tested for something called 25 OH or 25 hydroxy vitamin D. That's the best, most accurate way of assessing your vitamin D status. Well, do you have? Uh, one, I guess this is our last question because our time is just about out. I will try to slip to the back if you have individual questions. I'll be there briefly. Then I'm over at the health food store. The plan is to be there from three forty-five to five, and then, the Lord willing, I will be back here at six. If others of you have have individual questions, last question for us. How do
0: you, um,
1: Okay, so the question is about melatonin, how to take it, and uh, perhaps even how much. Melatonin, you actually can make adequate levels in your body. We summarized some of uh, Dr. Nedley's research. Some of you have read what he wrote in the book Proof Positive. It has a lot of natural strategies that you can boost melatonin levels on your own. I think that's ideal. If you're taking a melatonin supplement, the literature shows that a fast-acting melatonin supplement um, will do nothing for your blood pressure, will not help your blood pressure a bit, but the controlled-release melatonin will. So I do recommend if you're taking melatonin for your blood pressure, you take a controlled-release melatonin preparation.
0: Okay?
1: Um, actually, the controlled-release preparations should be better tolerated as far as the stomach as well. Okay, they should be. Okay. Well, we need to, to wind up. I think Evelyn has some final uh, comments, and she'll close with a word of prayer. I'm sure with us.
0: Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Dubrow? Yes. Thank you so much so much for, for joining us this week. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity of listening to your servant. And I pray that we will take this information, we will learn to apply it in our lives, we will share it with others in a winsome way, and uh, thank you for this opportunity to be right Open our hearts and minds to the Sabbath, and hear your voice hmm. to us in Jesus' name. Amen.